Seeing leads to feeling. Feeling leads to doing. This is what the Bible teaches all over the place. Seeing what we behold with our eyes leads to what we feel, and then feeling leads to doing. Here are a couple examples from the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the woman, that would be Eve, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, so she coveted it for gaining wisdom, and she took it and ate it. Get it? She saw, she coveted, she felt, and she took, she did. Here's another example. From Joshua chapter 7, verse 21, a man named Achan is speaking. Achan says, I saw among the spoils a beautiful mantle, a piece of clothing from Shinar, and 500 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, and I coveted them, and I took them. See, covetate. <laughs> Seeing leads to feeling. Feeling leads to doing. Seeing. It always begins with seeing. We're seeing a lot these days, aren't we? All the dismantling and destruction, devastation taking place because of the coronavirus. We're seeing this in our own country. This painting pictures Lady Liberty, right? Trying to disinfect with her rubber gloves. She's got her mask and all of these coronavirus pathogens floating around her. We see all of the pain and the panic. We see people. Kroger, Myers, wherever we go, in town, wherever you live. We see people living in fear, anxiety. We are seeing and witnessing, as we all know, the event of the century. We're seeing a great warfare, right? We need to defeat the virus. We've got the pandemic on one end, and we have government officials and healthcare workers on the other end, and we're seeing all of this unfold daily. We're seeing this throughout the world. And everywhere we go, we see what? Masks, masks, and more masks. Seeing leads to feeling, and feeling leads to doing. Of course, that's what the Bible teaches, and seeing all of this, we begin feeling despondent, despairing, depressed, and these negative feelings that we're seeing lead to doing, right? doing great damage with caustic words, doing great damage with unhealthy coping mechanism, doing great damage with our self-absorbed behavior. 
seeing, please believe me, seeing, it all begins with seeing. We're in our Easter season sermon series on the book of Ezekiel. It's our fourth installment, right? All things new. Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophet, gives us all of these gospel gifts, a new shepherd, a new covenant. Last week, a new heart, God's gift to us today, a new glory, a new glory for our eyes to see. Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 2. Prophet says, in this great vision, I saw the glory of the God of Israel. There are nine words there, folks. <laughs> nine words that absolutely change everything. I saw the glory of the God of Israel. Ezekiel doesn't say, I glanced, I glimpsed. Ezekiel doesn't say, I previewed, I peeked. Ezekiel doesn't let someone else describe for him the glory of the God of Israel. No, Ezekiel gets out his bifocals and binoculars. Ezekiel gets out his telescope, his microscope. Ezekiel fixes and fastens his eyes. Ezekiel says, I saw the glory of the God of Israel. (laughs) Verse 3 of Ezekiel 43. The vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city. That's the vision in chapter 10 of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel sees the glory of God leave, depart, the Solomonic temple in Jerusalem. And it was like the visions, Ezekiel goes on, to say, I had seen by the Kibar River. Kibar River is in Babylon, (laughs) We know by now that Ezekiel was exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon in 597 B.C. So Ezekiel sees the glory of God in chapter 43. It's the same glory you saw in chapter 10 when God left the temple and destroyed Jerusalem through the Babylonian juggernaut led by King Nebuchadnezzar. And it's the same glory that Ezekiel sees in chapter 1 of his book by the Kibar River. It's a new glory. How new? (laughs) This new. This is the glory. This is the new glory that Ezekiel sees in chapter 1, right? Chapter 10, and then (laughs) coming back in chapter 43. It's God's chariot. This is the vision. It's God's chariot. In the ancient Near East, a king showed his power over enemies by means of his chariot. And this is a supercharged chariot. The the king, of course, is Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, and that would be symbolized by this white figure at the top. And he's riding his chariot. This God of all power and might. And and this chariot, wow, talk about a set of wheels. (laughs) Underneath this king's chariot that announces his power over enemies would be creatures, angelic creatures. 
And each angelic creature has four faces, the face of a human, the face of an eagle, the face of a lion, the face of an ox. What do they symbolize? If the chariot symbolizes God's power or enemies, these four-faced angels symbolize God's power over all creation. And then, of course, the wheels and the wheels covered by eyes (laughs) with flaming fire. The eyes symbolize God's power to know and see everything. Quite a glory. (laughs) God's power over his enemies. God's power over all creation. God's power to know and see everything. This God is large, and He's in charge. That's glory. In Ezekiel chapter 10, you may recall, God's glory in a vision leaves the temple. And now why did God's glory, this supercharged chariot, leave His people? Because His people had become blind to His glory. Israel was blind to God's power over enemies, power over creation, and power to know and see everything. And when we are blind, when we close our eyes to God's glory, we also begin looking for power in all the wrong places. Power in politics, power and pride, power in posing and pretending. God's glory then leaves, departs. Sayonara, baby. Mighty Casey has struck out. It's all over. God's glory leaves his people. But not for long. <laughs> not for long. Ezekiel 43, verses 4 and 5. As the glory of the Lord entered the temple, you see, Ezekiel sees God's glory coming back. (laughs) And the temple is where God's glory lands, by the gate facing east. The Spirit, Ezekiel says, lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. I saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple. God's glory is back, and Ezekiel sees it. That's the message of the New Testament. Uh, This is what the 27 books of the New Testament teach. God's glory is back, (laughs) and John especially sees it. In perhaps the most pivotal verse in the Bible, uh, John records these words, John 1.14. The Word, you know this, the Word Jesus became flesh, and we have seen his glory. <laughs> God's glory in Ezekiel is connected with power, right? <laughs> we would imagine then that God's New Testament glory is connected to power, right? Jesus walking on water, Jesus raising Lazarus, Jesus healing the sick, giving sight to the blind. And making crippled people whole. Why, that's where God's ultimate power is in the New Testament, right? 
Jesus. We can just imagine, right, that, that Jesus was almost walking about an inch above the ground all the time. That's glory, right? Jesus had this, this glowing, heavenly look to him all the time. That's God's supreme glory, right? Wrong. Wrong. In an ironic twist for the ages, God's supreme, magnificent glory is in the bitter suffering and death of Jesus. How so? We stay in John's gospel. John tells us on Palm Sunday, upper left of our slide, that Jesus says, this is John 12, verse 23, Jesus says on Palm Sunday, the hour has come now, glorify your son. In the upper room on Monday, Thursday, is pictured by the 30 pieces of silver. Just after Judas betrays Jesus, Jesus says, this is John 13, 31, now the Son of Man is glorified. You see, the glory is Jesus riding in to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, riding in on a donkey. The glory is his betrayal by Judas. And then, of course, at the bottom of this slide, just before Jesus is arrested, he prays a prayer in John 17. John 17, verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. God's greatest supreme glory and power and might are made most perfect in the weakness of the cross. What does that look like? It looks like a legionnaire's whip made out of leather with metal balls at the end, turning his back into a bloody pulp. The the glory of God, imagine this, the glory of God looks like a crown of thorns shoved on his head, caking his hair with blood. God's glory looks like fists beating Christ's face and deforming it making it bruised and bloody. God's glory looks like nails driven into his tender flesh as his body twists and turns, writhing in pain. Being religious and devout doesn't help me see God's glory. Trying my hardest and being so sincere doesn't help me see God's glory. Doing my best and being as moral and upright as I can. I'll never see God's glory. It's only as I kneel at the foot of the cross that I see the supreme glory of God in Jesus Christ. Because God's greatest glory, his greatest power is in bleeding and suffering and dying for you. God's greatest glory 
is Jesus hanging on the cross for you. Here is Jesus. The Jesus of the desperate and the depressed. Here's the Jesus of people who are lonely and bitterly broken. Here is the Jesus we all know and love and follow and desperately need. Here is the glory of God. Do you see him? Do you see Jesus? The shepherds in Luke chapter 2, they saw angels. You would think angels would be enough. They saw the night sky erupting in song. They, they heard and saw angels, thousands of angels, a myriad of angels. You would think for the shepherds that angels would be enough. But no, the shepherds wanted to see Jesus. You would think for the magi, Matthew chapter 2. That seeing the star would be enough. Uh, that seeing the star that led them to Bethlehem, that bright star in the sky, you'd think that the star would be enough, but it wasn't. The Magi wanted to see Jesus. You'd think for some Greeks on Palm Sunday that seeing the temple would be enough. The temple is grand and great and glorious. The, the temple is where kings reigned and prophets preached and priests sacrificed. The temple was great and glorious, but the Greeks wanted to see Jesus. John chapter 12, verse 21, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. These Greeks come up to Philip on Palm Sunday and they say, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Don't settle for angels in the heavens, stars in the sky, or a temple in Jerusalem. Worship Jesus like the shepherds. Bow before him like the magi. Long to see him like these Greeks on Palm Sunday. The economy doesn't phase him. Elections don't surprise him. Death did not defeat him, and pandemics will never paralyze him. Pandemics will never paralyze our Jesus. For 51 years, 51 years, all Bob Eden saw was this. Nothing. He was born blind. Everything was a black hole. But Bob Edens graduated from Furman University, got married, had a daughter, even coached Little League Baseball. But for 51 years, Bob Edens was blind. Blind as a bat. Then he could see. Bob Edens could see. A doctor connected his retina and then performed a corneal transplant. And for the first time in his life, Bob Edens could see. He said, I never thought yellow would be so yellow. 
I love to see the shape of the moon in the sky. And my favorite, my favorite would be all the beautiful flowers in spring. Bob Edens can see. (laughs) Can you see Jesus? If you feel as though you are overwhelmed by this ongoing disaster, it's time to take a look. If melancholy and sadness get the best of you every day, it's time to open your eyes. If you, like me, need a savior from sin, a friend who loves at all times, and a redeemer who restores and renews, it's time to see Jesus. Seeing leads to feeling. Feeling leads to doing. You don't like how you're feeling? You don't like what you're doing? Then change what you're seeing. Embrace what Ezekiel says. Nine words, remember that? Nine words that change absolutely everything. What are they? Here they are. Ezekiel 43, verse 2. I saw (laughs) the glory of the God of Israel. And there he is, Jesus. Jesus for you. Amen.